our Lord Jesus Christ, Starman has been traveling more than 3.5 billion kilometers in the last four years. Starman is a mannequin sitting in a Tesla Roadster which was launched into space in the year 2018. And sometimes when we think about the Lord Jesus going up, we kind of imagine him going up and up and up, and we just wonder where it ends. But of course, the Lord Jesus is not randomly wandering through interstellar space. The Lord Jesus ascended with a destination. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, was going home. And a cloud hid him or took him out of their sight. And that cloud is important. We often just skip over that phrase there in our text that it was a cloud that took him out of their sight. And you think about clouds in the scriptures and clouds in the gospels. You think of the Mount of Transfiguration and there in Matthew chapter 17, when the Lord was on the mountain with a few of his disciples, a bright cloud, a cloud of glory envelops Jesus and those disciples. And in that cloud of glory, Jesus shines with glory. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And as we think about the transfiguration and that cloud of glory, we think, where have we seen that before? That a human being in the presence of God is shining with light, with his face shining. And we think of Moses, of course, way back at Sinai and, and when he was in the presence of God, that he would descend again to see the people. His, his, his face would be shining. The cloud was the presence of of the glory of God. And the cloud often represents that in the scriptures, the, what the Jews call the Shekinah glory, the glory of the presence. But the, the difference with Jesus compared to Moses is that the Lord Jesus doesn't reflect the glory of God. He is the glory of God. The scriptures say that he is the radiance of the glory of God. And he is at home in the light and the majesty and the glory. And, and Peter later on writes about this, 2 Peter 1, verse 17. Peter writes about the, his recollections about being on the Mount of Transfiguration. In 2 Peter 1, 17, he says this, for when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And so, on the Mount of Transfiguration, in that cloud of glory, God gives the disciples a glimpse of who Jesus really is, as he is clothed with the glory that he had with the Father before all worlds. And we can go further back in the Scriptures. We can go back into the Old Testament. Ezekiel talks about the temple filled with a cloud 
filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. We can go further back to Solomon and the inauguration of the temple. And there in 1 Kings chapter 8, we read of a cloud filling the house of the Lord and the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. We can go further back to the tabernacle being inaugurated there in Exodus chapter 40. And we read the same things. That a cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And you can read about that even before the tabernacle was built. And you think of when Moses went up into the mountain, and there in Exodus chapter 24, verse 15. Exodus 24, 15. This is what the scripture says there on Mount Sinai. Then Moses went up on the mountain... And the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And so this, this idea of a cloud and the, the connection of the cloud with the glorious presence of God is an exhilarating thing. It is a glorious thing, but it is also a frightening thing for sinners. You remember there at Mount Sinai that the people could not even get near to the mountain, let alone touch it, because it would mean certain death. And then if we go further in time, uh, now moving forward in time from Sinai to when the tabernacle was inaugurated, you look there in Exodus chapter 40, Exodus chapter 40 verse 35, and you see there that as the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Even Moses couldn't go in because there was too much glory. And he was not able to even enter the temple. That's in Exodus chapter 40. And as you go further through the, the Pentateuch as you go into Leviticus. It takes nine chapters of Leviticus. Nine chapters of all the sacrifices being instituted, all kinds of anointings and ceremonial washings until finally in the ninth chapter of Leviticus, finally Moses and Aaron are able to enter the tent through the blood of the sacrifices and through the washings and the anointings, and the glory of the Lord appears to all the people. So that's the message of the Old Testament. The message of the Old Testament is that God dwells in unapproachable light and glory. The glory of the presence. And it is hard for the sinner to come near. If you have your Bible handy, look at Leviticus 16, verse 2. Leviticus 16, 2. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to, come at any, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. The holy place is, is kind of like a little Sinai. You can't come near easily. But in this way, Aaron... Uh, sorry, and I'm going to go back to verse 2. Tell him not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear 
in the cloud over the mercy seat. So because God is present appearing in the cloud, you can't just go in whenever you want. Only the high priest could come in. And only once a year. And only with the blood of the sacrifices and all kinds of holy washings. And the cherubim were embroidered on the veil. And the cherubim are the guardians of God's holiness and glory. And they proclaim that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've fallen short of the glory. You're not good enough for the glory. You can never be good enough for the glory. That's how Psalm 24 addresses God's people. If you want to come into the presence of God, the God of glory, you need to be as holy and pure and righteous as the Lord of glory himself. That's the message of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, the Holy of Holies was, was a picture of Eden. And Eden was indicating the place where man dwells in the presence of God. But Eden itself was also a picture. Eden itself was a picture of heaven. And heaven is a real place. It is the most exalted part of the universe. It is an actual physical location in time and space. God doesn't need time and space. God is beyond time and space. But all of his creations, all of his creatures need time and space And so heaven is a location. In time and space, Stephen, Deacon Stephen, the first martyr, sees it while he is dying. He looks up and he sees heavens open. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He looks into heaven. Heaven is where God holds court in his creation. Heaven is the place where he is constantly surrounded by the heavenly beings and the billions of angels and 24 hours a day and seven days a week, 365 days a year. God is being worshipped in heaven. There is the most pure and breathtaking and exultant worship which never, ever stops. And the whole Old Testament is saying to the sinner, you can't Come in here. You are shut out. You may not come home to be with the Father. And the entire thrust of the life of the sinner is not heavenward, but it is away from God, down towards the earth, down towards the dust, down towards death. And yet, And yet, the sinner, God's people, the Old Testament, they they knew that there had to be something more. The scriptures say say that he has put eternity in man's heart. There is this longing to be where God has made us to be. And there is this conflict, therefore, between the longing for eternity and the harsh reality of the thrust of human life with all of its suffering going down, down, down to the dust and to death. And so that incites longing, the longing of the Psalms, the longing of the psalmist as he cries out, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When will the day come when I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever? 
That's the longing. That's the cry of the Old Testament saint. God, when are you going to do something? When are you going to change things so that we stop going down and we start going up? And then Jesus came. And he was conceived and born. And he suffered. And he died. And the curtain in the temple ripped from top to bottom. And he rose from the earth, the new Adam. And with clean hands and a pure heart and with his perfect goodness, certainly he could ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place. And he entered. He went up into heaven. And he entered that cloud of glory. He entered heavenly glory to the exultant shouts and praises of countless angels and heavenly beings. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And so that prophetic Psalm 24 came to be fulfilled in the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament calls him the Lord of glory. And he enters heaven as the last Adam. Now, Aaron, when he went in the Holy of Holies, that little picture of heaven here down on earth, he carried a blood sacrifice, and yet he had to leave right away before he would die. He couldn't go in and sit down on the ark. He would have died. Jesus brings a better sacrifice and Jesus brings better blood and Jesus brings the sacrifice to end all sacrifices and Jesus walks in to the Holy of Holies and he sits down because it's done, because the way is open. Jesus, after making purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, he made purification for sins but he didn't need it. He didn't have any sins to purify. But it is your sin, it is my sin that he dealt with. And he is there now as the head of the church, the body. And we have a living, unbreakable connection to him. He is the head, we are the body. Now those who are in sin, those who are in unbelief, those who are in the old Adam, the first Adam, their head, the head of the dying, unbelieving human race is a decaying and a dead head. And there is no hope for those who are united with Adam in his fall, destruction, and death. But for those in Christ, the new Adam, they are connected to the Lord of life. And there on the throne of heaven, even now, is the head of the new human race. He has a glorified body, yes, with no sin, no effects of sin, but it is a human body nonetheless. It is created material. It is a body made with created material that he got from his mother and his mother in turn from her parents until you go all the way back to our first father, Adam, who was formed from the dust of the ground. The Lord Jesus has a body 
which originally derives from the very earth upon which we live. And so one of the old theologians said it this way about the ascension, the dust of earth on the throne of heaven. And that makes all the difference. Because the first Adam was exiled from the presence of God, but the last Adam was welcomed home, and we in him are welcomed back into the presence of the Father. We belong. And that changes our life. This is one of the great acts of redemption in that long list that start with the conception of our Lord. There's a great, mighty work of God for salvation. It, it changes everything. It means, for instance, that when my addiction and my failures and my shame and my guilt get me down, then the gospel calls me to look up at the risen, ascended Lord of glory who stands continually in the presence of the Father and whose pierced hands are testimony of what he has done for you, that he has bled for you, that he has washed you, that he has loved you, that you are accepted and welcome into the presence of the Father. And when the stock market is down and there are wars and rumors of wars and the economy craters and the social fabric falls apart and little children are murdered by the insanity of hate, incubated by the broken darkness of this groaning world of sin, when all of that gets me down as I hear too much of the news, then the gospel calls me to look up, to look to the risen and ascended King of kings and Lord of lords who has the name which is above every name, the one before whom every knee must bow and the one of whom every tongue must confess that he is Lord. This is one of the key articles of our faith. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father he, Jesus, rules. He rules the nations. He rules history. He rules the universe. He rules Canada. He rules my life in every tiny detail. And that means that as Christians, we can live with our head in the clouds. Now, normally, you're not supposed to do that. If you're living with your head in the clouds, you're kind of out of it, and you're not paying attention to what you're supposed to be doing. That's not what I, what I mean. We shouldn't be those who are so heavenly-minded that we are of no earthly use. That's not what the gospel calls us to do. But we live with our head literally in the clouds. We live as those who are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We live even now in this earth with all of its hurts. We live the beginnings of eternal glory. And when we gather for worship especially and we are lifted up in the Spirit into the heavenlies, we worship the Father in heavenly glory. And the church being the temple of the Holy Spirit is the place in this world where humans can come and they can be enveloped in the Shekinah glory of the presence as the ascended Christ comes to us and he blesses us and he speaks his word to us and he washes us with the water of baptism, and he feeds us at his table. What does the Bible say about the Christian? 
The Bible says this, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We live in the holy of holies. Every moment we live in the holy of holies. And that's going to do something. That's going to be evident in some way. That's going to change how we think and how we act. And that's going to affect the way other people see us. When they see that we live enveloped in the cloud of the presence, we live in the holy of holies. Now the ascended Lord Jesus is not just waiting around, looking at his watch, waiting for a judgment day. He's busy there in heaven. He is driving history forward. He is breaking the seals on the scroll of God's plan for the history of the world. Jesus is making things happen. He is on the throne. He rules even over the painful things, even over the catastrophes, even over the things which fill us with fear. He rules. He is sovereign. And he drives history forward through all the pains and the tribulations and the hardships of the, the birth of a new world. And he will not rest until the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day, the day when just like he went up into the cloud, so we will see him return. We will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, says the scripture. And heaven and earth will be united, and the angels will sing over us, Welcome home, children of God. Welcome into the fullness of the cloud of the presence of the glory of the Lord. And we will dwell in that cloud of perfect light and glory, and we will never have to leave. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.